Man. Well, 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 here we are again. We find ourselves. There you are. <laughs> wearing all black. Are you okay? <laughs> it's called fashion. <laughs> Look it up. Oh, it's not called morning? No. <laughs> you can't see it, but like I have a, there's some color pop. I the, can, I can see. Uh, sparkles on the collar? It's little stars. <gasps> oh, airplanes in the night styes, like, styes. I said sky, sky is like shooting stars. Are you okay? <laughs> Girl, no. When I am living in literally like frozen Narnia. Like the white witch is here. She's hitting people with her frozen titties. And I'm dying. And she Tell just the sweat and stop. She just smacked you in the face with one of her frozen titties. <laughs> she, yes, literally. And I'm like, ow, frostbite. Um, oh, my goodness. But uh, hello, everyone. But hello. Don't worry. Austin is okay. He just lives in Chicago, yeah, which is currently frozen. Which is currently under ice and snow. Speaking of, like, the witch in the line, the witch in the wardrobe, do you know what Turkish delight is? As a dessert. Yes. I totally looked that up because I thought it looked good when I was young and I watched the movie, but then I looked it up and it's like gross. Isn't it like a... a... I'm pretty sure it's meat. No, I think you're wrong. I th- <laughs> No, I swear to God, because I thought it was some sort of like, oh, fruit, like a preservative, like fun time. No, I'm pretty sure it's meat. I thought it was some weird, like jelly filled, squishy experience. Turkish delight is... Oh, we're, look- we're looking kidding. it up you're, in real you're time. You're absolutely right. Yeah. <laughs> um, all these recipes on Google say it's red food coloring, powdered sugar, rose water, lemon juice, raspberry extract, orange extract, red food coloring. Okay, maybe it, it... Wait, okay. So it says, what does it taste like? Here's what it really is. A starch and a sugar gel often containing fruit or nuts. So everything that you said and nothing <laughs> that I you said... You said it's meat. <laughs> I remember looking it up and being like... Ugh. Okay, wait, I would eat this. Okay. All right, catch us next week. Austin's like, I'm a big fan of Turkish Delight. (laughs) I'm a big fan of Turkish Delight. Hey, guys, since last week, I have tried Turkish Delight, and let me tell you, it's worth worth the hype. Mm. Mm-mm. Well, speaking of, well, okay, hold on. Before I get ahead of myself, I'm I'm tripping. Okay, I'm wow. tripping over myself. Many things just happened. Um, I was gonna ask you what you're a big fan of this week, but um, before we get into that, this week we had a very wonderful conversation with. We did. Blue Kaufman. Yes. A wonderful writer, artist, activist, sunshine person. Eloquent speaker. Eloquent speaker. And she helped us tackle a huge issue, which I think is very intimidating to a lot of people, which is our current climate crisis, environmentalism, Mm -hmm. sustainability, and how to, like, join that conversation through any means you want. As an everyday person. Yeah, like, through your own access point, be it art, literature, social media, all of that. So I'm very excited for you guys to hear this conversation. Um, But as always... Before we get into that, I'm going to ask, what are you a big fan of this week, Mr. Austin Tyler Adams? Oh my God, I thought you were about to refer to my social media handle, but then you ruined it by putting my middle name in there. 
Um, well, you, you can so, plug yourself. I'm not going to do that for you. <laughs> at Mr. Austin Adams. Um, anyway, so this week, uh, what I'm a big fan of in tandem with our topic of this week being environmentalism, our relationship with nature, um, kind of our relationship with healing on a variety of levels um, is this album that is not out yet, but I'm very excited for. Um, it comes out April 23rd, and it's called Nurture. Is it um, your Porter Robinson person? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's by this artist named Porter Robinson. And um, one might be quick to think, how is this related to nature? Because isn't Porter Robinson a full-on EDM artist? Yes. Um not so much EDM anymore as much as he is electronic. His first album, Worlds, I was not a fan of because... Sorry, Porter. Oh, my God. If you ever hear this. <laughs> oh, my God. He's going to hate me. Anyway, um, it was it was just all a little too much for me. It was all a little too far away. Um, however, on this like new album, this boy is... Um, context. He like went through a seven-year silence period and he was dealing with a lot of issues personally um his brother had cancer at one point um and just like creatively he was in like a rut like the like think of the classic like artist in the movie who's going through like a creative drought he was having a really hard time for a while and it was like really affecting his like perception of himself his worth as a a person and an artist um and so this album is like the fruit of that and like him coming to this place where he had to like learn how to like take care of himself, nurture himself to find joy in what he does as opposed to like this, this existential dread of like, how can I up my last project? You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Because that's a lot of pressure. And so, like I said, this album is the fruit of that. And Oh, like he's released four singles so far um, over the past year. It was supposed to release last year, the album Nurture, um, but COVID caused that to, you know, be shot in the face. Um, he's released four songs and they're all just like so reflective, so vulnerable. Um, and you know how I feel about emotionally vulnerable men <laughs> in art. Big fan of that. Um, he released a song recently back in January called Look at the Sky. It's a beautiful little tune about optimism and hope. Um and just about looking forward. And so I'm really excited for this album because he takes a lot of um, inspiration from nature um, and just like healing and being out in nature and the power of that. And so, yeah, April 23rd, Porter Robinson's Nurture is coming out and I'm really excited. The It's really funny because the album art is like him fully in like a field of flowers. It's like a, it's like a photo, mm -hmm. him in a field of flowers face down in the flowers like just like existing <laughs> and it's so it's so like cute and like funny and i'm just really i'm really excited and um i love that yeah i, I love that too because i think yeah as you guys will hear um in our conversation we talk a lot about systems and thinking in a systems based um perspective and how reconnecting to nature and reconnecting to oneself is kind of one and the same because we're all a part of this system and everything's interconnected so I love yeah I love that kind of journey of like I'm going to reconnect to myself and why 
I like making this art and draw inspiration from the natural world that I am a part of. Yeah. Like, I'm a part of this system and it fuels me. It fuels my creativity and my inspiration for my art. So it's all interconnected. And I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, my God. I'm so lame because I just got goosebumps. You speaking back to me. <laughs> Everything I just said, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm understood. Yes. Um, I see you yeah. and I hear you. Thank yeah. you. It's all. It's always a struggle feeling seen and heard as a white man. It's, always, um, it's so hard. Anyway, it's so hard. I never get my space. Um, okay, Kara. Mm-hmm. I just said what I'm a big fan of, um, and I'm sure that people are dying to know what you're a big fan of. So, I'm gonna ask mm. for the sake of the people. What are you a big fan of this week? Well, thank you so much for asking. Um, I'm gonna give you a little two for one deal here Ooh, okay. <laughs> so my my first Ew. thing that i'm a big fan of this week uh like you sort of coincides with our theme this week which is sustainability and our environment because i discovered a new content creator on the internet this week her name is jasmine yes. rogers but she goes by that curly top because she has beautiful natural curly hair and she is a mixed race woman. She is black and Mexican. And she just has a lovely page. It's so colorful. It's bright. But her whole thing is fashion and sustainable fashion and talking about all the layers to that conversation. Um, we get into it a little mm-hmm. bit in this episode, but she approaches yeah. it with such an, an optimistic but not naive approach, if that makes sense. Like she yeah. has a colorful aesthetic and she's all for like supporting women-owned businesses and like poc-owned businesses in the sustainable space but she does address the fact that like in this current capitalistic society sustainable fashion is more expensive um, and less accessible and so yeah so she just talks about all the different layers to that and she's funky and fun and cute and i love her so yeah yeah, that curly top she's an instagram and a youtube channel so look her up. She's fun. Yeah. I think, and not to not to shit on your passion, Jasmine, but whenever I think of sustainable fashion, I just think of, like, plastic-looking clothes. Oh, I'll send you some things. They're cute. <laughs> I've been, I'll, send you some, I'll send you some material. <laughs> I've been um, um, looking through, like, the brands she's been working with because she, like, has all those discount codes. So I was like, ooh, let me, like, just, like, take a peek. Oh, hell um, yeah. And it's super fun. Also... Because I'm currently based in the UK at the moment, um, looking at some, <laughs> looking at some uh, like British-based artists and like brands and things like that. So I've just been having a great time on the internet, y'all. Okay, <laughs> but um, yeah. speaking of that, because I'm currently find myself here in London, I have access to the BBC iPlayer, which is a streaming service that's only available in the UK. So I've just been having a... F- oh, God, <laughs> the racism <laughs> against other white people. <laughs> Why don't I have it? I want to watch Shameless, the original. Um, I've been... I just finished season one of a show that my parents have been recommending to me for years, but... For years. I've never gotten around to watching it. Um because it's not available on American streaming services and my laptop does not have a DVD slot. So I just was not bothering with that. Um, what is it? <laughs> it's called The Hour and it's a television show. Oh, wait, is that the, wait, is that, 
Is it a limited series? Yes, it's two seasons. It's like six episodes per season. Keep talking okay. because I it's I, a yeah. It stars one of my favorite British actors, Ben Whishaw. I think he's a genius, and I love him. Um, but it's about it takes place in the nineteen fifties, so post World War Two, and uh, in in London. And it's about these journalists who start this evening news program called The Hour, but simultaneous to them and their story of like starting up this news program, there's like Soviet spies and like MI6 and like the Cold War is brewing. So there's a lot of mystique and like this Ben Wishaw is a journalist who's kind of caught up in this mystery because one of his childhood friends gets caught up in this like Soviet spy ring and he has to kind of help her out. So it's just really interesting. And like, there's some really awesome like BBC regulars and just awesome British actors on there. So I'm hooked and yeah. And you love your British ensembles. I love my British ensembles. Um, you can find it on DVD in the States and I believe it's, it's on Amazon prime, but you have to like, pay for it so there you go looks like i'm not watching it (laughs) but if if the distribution of international programming shifts and it happens to pop up on hulu i'll let you know (laughs) take a yeah take a good look um so the reason i like paused Mm. you is because um also ben wish ben wisha last name wisha um gay i believe so question mark yeah, he's like he's the kind of like mousy looking man. Oh my god! Yes, not too. Not, <laughs> I love him. I don't know if he's made any uh, public statements about it, so I don't want to assume. Um, Wait, but in, but in the recesses Wish- of my memory, that sounds familiar. But I don't want to. I don't want to force you to come out, Ben. Yes, no, he's very publicly. Gay. Okay, great. Okay, great. I, I'm I'm seeing him right now. Yeah. Okay, so he's he's the husband from Suffragette with yes. um that, the with, movie song. Yeah. Mm, Mulligan. Mulligan. Love her. She's in another movie right now that I really want to see. Oh, Promising um, Young Woman. I want to see it so yes. bad. Um, anyway, stop talking about oh film. Oh my gosh, we're um, getting off track. So, <laughs> yeah, so, um, no. So when you said The Hour, mm. Ben Wishaw, um, I was thinking of The Hours, which is a 2002 psychological drama. Um, with like Meryl Streep, Julianne Moore, and Nicole Kidman. And yes, I'm reading the Wikipedia right now. I did not just remember all three of those names. Um, but anyway, I just know that that movie includes like these women. And I think one of the women is like married to a gay man. Um, and that's like a part of this like psychological undoing for her because what could be worse than that in 2002 other than having a gay husband? And I know Ben Wishaw is gay and like has played gay characters before. So I was like, oh, wait, are we talking about the same thing? But I had to let you finish. So yeah, no, yeah. the hours. I'm a huge fan of his. I saw, um, really quick, and then we can dive into our wonderful conversation with Blue. But um, yes, I saw the production of The Crucible on Broadway in like, 2016 with Saoirse Ronan and Ben Wishaw and he played John Proctor and he John Proctor is usually played by like a burly man like he's very I don't know he takes up a lot of space and he's very yeah not aggressive but he has like a I've been in that play he's a loud character yeah he's loud and that's kind of his undoing because he's like seduced by this young woman and like he has to like he has to um examine himself um but he but he's usually fairly burly like he works on the land but 
yeah. Ben Wishaw played John Proctor, and he brought such a vulnerability to him that it was just astonishing. Like it was so good, and I had never seen so I never seen an. That's one revival I wish I could have seen. Yeah, I've never seen an it, actor. It seems so cool. That was the first time I had the experience of like being familiar with a play and a role, um, and then seeing an actor reinvent it. <laughs> I. And you could like go in and be critical. You were like, okay, let's see what you no, got. Yeah, I was like, I played Rebecca Nurse as a 15-year-old. Yeah, that's literally me. <laughs> I played Gi- I played Giles. Crucible is a part of the the high school oh, theater, um, theater canon, canon. For sure. If you if you did if you weren't in it, then you read it in your 10th grade English class. <laughs> yeah, and if you didn't read it and you weren't in it, you knew of it. You probably aren't alive. You, you're probably... <laughs> you're dead. You're probably a ghost. You died. You're dead. The, the ghost of Arthur Miller will kill you if you don't read it in high school. <laughs> For sure. So get on it. Um, but yes. But yeah. So you went to see that show. I did. And anyway, it, this is just all an all-encompassing love I have for Ben Wishaw. But yes, that's the second thing that I'm a big fan of this week. And... Yeah, the third thing I'm a big fan of is this conversation that we had with Blue. Um, wow. I'm so... Good good segue. <laughs> I'm a professional. Um, but no, in all... Teehees aside, <laughs> I'm, I'm really excited to jump mm-hmm. into this topic because I feel like, you know, in season one, there was a trend on this podcast of talking about things in the theater space and the art space in the literature space. Yeah. And we're, we're kind of exploring different topics in season yeah. two. And don't get confused. We're going to keep talking about that season two. Oh yes. You cannot, for you sure. cannot take the art out of the theater majors. You, you just can't. No, no, no. Impossible. But, our core kind of goal of this podcast is to be curious and to talk to different people about their passions. And so Blue just has a wonderful approach to this huge, huge issue that is climate change and our environment mm-hmm. and our relationship to it. And I think this conversation can be a great access point. Like I was I was actually low-key nervous for this interview because I mm-hmm. while I'm aware of everything you're talking about, I don't have an in-depth knowledge on it and she was just so gracious and wonderful yeah i was about to say that's that's like one of the best parts about this interview is that if anything when it comes to my relationship to climate change and the topic of this episode i don't have the vocabulary i don't have the like the scientific just in-depth knowledge you know what i mean because this being such a complicated issue i i'm like there are times when i feel um like I'm not like why like I should not be the one to talk about this, you know what yeah. I mean, and I think blue really um you know takes takes us in and you know tries to unravel that and say that like no, everyone is a part of this, and that you shouldn't feel left out of this conversation because like y- like you are to you know be concise here, like you are a part of nature, like yes, and that's that's one of the most heartening parts of this episode is seeing that we all have the ability to like change this for sure and that like there's beauty in that like you don't have to be afraid of like this this responsibility of taking care of our environment Mm -hmm. because it's part of taking care of yourself like you're a part of nature so taking care of nature is taking care of you um and she helped us really see that in a new light which is wonderful so without further ado
awesome. Well, hi, Blue. Welcome to Big Fan. Yes, hello, Blue. Thank you for being here with us. Thanks for having me. Of course. We're so, so excited to have you on. Um, yeah, and like we're this topic is a departure from like our comfortable zone. And so I'm really excited to have you lead us through. Yeah, like, no, Gandalf. for sure. Um, <laughs> environmentalism, that sort of thing. Even just me talking about it as that sort of thing says so much. I mean, I'm I'm a I'm a bitch for recycling. I love it. Um, however, do I know everything there is to know in the way that the most knowledgeable people on Twitter do? No. No, and I think like I don't know. We talk a lot on this show about allyship and um, empathy and diversity and all those types of things, and we apply that to different people and cultures and like thought processes and theories but we didn't we never apply it to like our earth and our environment and having empathy and allyship for that so I think it's cool that we can explore that with you I've that definitely makes sense. and I think that they're all connected in a way allyship and the environment and people and diversity because you know environmentalism is really just like this huge collective action concept that involves so many so many different things. So it's, I think, intentionally vague. I mean, I think it's hard for a lot of people to even grapple with like what mm-hmm. even environmentalism is, like how to even define it. Um, but it also can be really fun and exciting and, and applicable to a lot of different areas. Oh my gosh, yeah. I mean, that just makes me think of that one campaign on like early 2000s Disney Channel. <laughs> what was it called, Kara? Do you remember what it is? <laughs> Wait, yes. what is it? Friends for change. There it is, yeah. Friends for change. <laughs> and they sang the song. Send it on, on and Yeah, on. that literally. Okay. Um. <laughs> anyway, okay. So let's stop being fools. Um. Tell us the name. Tell us your pronouns, please, and thank you. And just tell us a little about uh, about you and your relationship to environmentalism, and maybe how you got into it. Sure. Uh. So she, her, hers, for the pronouns. Um. I guess I should start out by saying that I'm not a climate expert at all. Um, I didn't study climate policy. I didn't study biology. I didn't study environmental sciences. I actually am an English major. (laughs) So there's that. (laughs) Um, But I actually think this amateur approach to deciphering these really complex issues has really suited me because... Like I said, I was, I'm an English major, so I've always been interested in this like power of words and how the right words and spoken or written in the right way at the right time can kind of have this, you know, it has this immense power. You know, they say like the, the pen is mightier than the sword. So I always have been interested in communication. And then when I was in college, I kind of found the thing that I was really passionate about communicating about which was environmentalism Mm -hmm. and conservation issues because it was so interesting to me but also just really complex and there was a sense of urgency to it that really called to me so since that moment i've really just been focused on that and have been trying to learn as much as i can and, and and talk about it as much as i can yeah, and I think you saying 
um, or describing it as this sort of like amateur position of entering a complex issue. I think that that's even better because that's something that someone um, in the everyday world can like grasp onto, you know what I mean? Because it's easy for someone that's like studied environmentalism, you know, <laughs> bio was their major, um, they're out there, you know, in the Everglades every day, you know, taking samples. That's that's kind of daunting to the everyday person. <laughs> and it's like, well, how, I, you know, and it's confusing and they don't even know how to approach it. So I think you are, you are a, like the perfect source to like talk about these things for the everyday person. And it's the everyday person that has the potential to like to, you know, make the most change, you know what I mean? And so exactly. I think that this is the perfect way to start the conversation is with you. So yeah, thank you. And it's, it's like you yes. said, it, it's actually not a problem that we don't have. We don't have a lack of experts on these things. Oh, for we sure. Have, yeah. We have <laughs> so many scientists and, you know, policy officials and biologists who understand, you know, things like climate change and ecology and biology. The issue is it's not being translated to the masses. And mm -hmm. this is something that's affecting everyone. So communication, science communication, climate change communication, conservation communication to everyone and having that incorporated into everyone's life, I think is, is so important. Absolutely. And speaking of that, I know that we, we teased at the beginning that there was like different campaigns, especially those targeted towards like children yeah. or like younger people about like recycling, things like that. But Really, if we're talking about the current environmental crisis, what, like, I know it's a huge issue, but if you were to start a conversation about it to somebody who didn't know where to begin, like, what's our current happenings? Like, how can we enter this narrative and this communication at the moment? Yeah. Which is a ridiculously yeah. huge question. The last, but, I remember yes. the last big thing I can kind of remember, because obviously it's like, you know, temperature, temperatures are rising, global warming, literally. Um, but I remember the the last big thing that was kind of like the cultural fear was, oh my God, there's holes in the ozone. You know what I mean? Um, so that sort of thing. And as Kara was saying, like, how do you even like start that conversation? So ozone holes have closed up a lot. So you can, you, you can be reassured Thank on that, God. on that, on that <laughs> regard. Um, <laughs> But I, I mean, I can give you, you know, I guess what we all learned in fifth grade is that greenhouse gases, you know, primarily CO2, carbon dioxide, are being trapped in our atmosphere and it's causing, you know, the earth to heat up. I think everyone is kind of aware of that as a basis. Mm -hmm. Now we're kind of dealing with the consequences of that of that rise in heat and, and of, mm -hmm. a hotter, of a hotter earth. And I think it, it, for a long time, it was this distant, far off problem. Oh, climate change, we, we gotta keep that on our radars. Yeah. But uh, things have changed really quickly. It's, it's at our doorstep, it's happening right now. We are seeing you know, extreme weather changes that are impacting everyone right now today. Yeah. Um, yeah, we were just we were just chatting before we started recording. When we're recording this, it is February twenty first, twenty twenty one, and the crisis in Texas is happening right now. Um, so we're literally seeing extreme weather changes playing out in front of us. Yeah, 
Yeah, I was just going to say, and we also, to talk about politics for a second and how they might not integrate so well with environmentalism and sustainability, um, but the the way the administration has been unable to, like, support Texas during this time as well as they should be able to is quite telling of their, their, just their preparedness in general for climate disaster. You know what I mean? I think politics is hugely relevant in, 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 in the conversation. In the conversation. Um, and I just would put forth like the word resilience um, because these things are happening. They're not going to be stopped. And, and lots of places are really cold right now, but it's whether or not we have the systems in place, the infrastructure set up that will be resilient against these changes. And I think there's a big question in politics right now. People are still asking this question, you know, do you believe in climate change? I think we're so far past that. The question is not, do you believe in climate change? For real. Do you, do you understand climate change? Mm-hmm. Do yeah. You, yeah. Do you understand what needs to be done to combat this? Do you understand what we need to do to make our communities resilient against these changes that are coming? Yeah, and not only like resilient, but also prepared to like tackle it as like, like wh- how can we come together? How can we mobilize in order? Like, what do we need to do as communities, as a, as states, as a nation, as a world, in order to you know combat this? And really quick to like highlight on what you said about like it's we're past the point where it's like, do you believe in climate change? It's like, like do you understand it? How do you react to people that are like global warming? Um, how does that make sense when things are freezing? It's, it's crazy. I think actually the word global warming, it's mostly shifted to climate change now. Yes. But I, even, yeah, yeah, yeah. Even that word global, global warming has resulted in this huge misinformation problem. Yeah, yeah. Where people respond that way because it doesn't mean everything is going to get hotter. It means that things are changing. And mm-hmm. it comes with viewing our Earth as a system that's interconnected and this idea of, of systems thinking. So if you want to tie it into what's happening, you know, with you know all the cold fronts that are hitting the U.S. right now, there is a polar vortex at the north and the southern poles. And Girl, I am freezing. Yeah, you're cold. You're cold. <laughs> My <laughs> pipes froze the other day. It's not a game. Yeah, it's 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 serious. And there's a jet stream that's really surrounds the this polar vortex. And because ocean temperatures are rising, that stream of air is there's not that usually keeps that contained. It's it's that distinction is lessening. So as a result, that polar vortex is dipping down and making all these places Uh a lot colder. And so it's not an isolated thing and everyone's freezing right now. But I think as the, since the temperatures are rising, since our ocean temperatures are rising, this is just a kind of a warning sign. This is not an isolated incident. This is a trend and we need to be prepared for this in the future, the same way hurricane season comes around every year, I think you're going to start seeing places that aren't used to being cold getting a lot yeah. colder. Yeah, and I think the mm-hmm. that's actually a really interesting comparison right there to hurricane season too, um, because it just makes me think about like Floridians in general as far as I've known Floridians since I've lived in Florida um, during my young years. Um, 
Floridians are just like, you know what, we're used to it at this point, which is like the exact opposite of mentality of what you'd want people to have with climate change. You know what I mean? Like they take it as it goes. Um, and I'm sure, adaption is is good and great, but for you to just like take it in stride is quite different. Yeah. Yeah, I think it comes from with any huge issue, there's like comfortability yeah. and disconnecting. Yeah, deny, yeah So being it. like, yeah, and being like, oh, I'm just going to adapt, but... Girl, you're going to blow up at some not point. Que- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not questioning like, should you or do you have to adapt to this like or can we combat it um speaking of like politics and like how climate change can enter different conversations i know austin and i are very interested about social media and its hand in spreading information about climate change and just like you know like even things like sustainable fashion influencers and artists different people who are entering the conversation from different avenues but it all kind of catching in the social media world, especially um, just because it's a current event. I know there's a lot of information about Texas going around and it can be used for good, but it can also be a little messy. So what's your relationship with using social media for communication? And I don't know, just your whole opinion on that relationship. It's so complicated. I like- Yeah, (laughs) I was about to say, it feels very complicated because I'm, to start to like give a quick example, I absolutely believe in the power of social media. Kara just said that. Um, but also there are times when to use the most colloquial phrase ever, lots of information gets lost in the sauce and it like, it can also become, um, like there's inaction through like overwhelm. You know what I mean? Like someone can get all this information and they're like, well, I guess we're just gonna die. And then they lay in bed, you know, <laughs> and they keep yeah. scrolling information overload absolutely Mm -hmm. it's so special that everyone can have a voice in this and that we can learn and it gives this platform to art and and graphics and i really think graphics and in for climate change are really helpful for people because these are really complicated ideas and when they're put on those um you know graphics that you can scroll through it it really helps distill and condense these really hard to understand things but it's giving it's giving life to a whole new beast of misinformation. Yeah, like abridged, yeah, abridged complicated issues. Uh, you can't see me right now, y'all, but my eyes are like kind of twitching. <laughs> I'm like, um, there are times when that long paper is kind of necessary. <laughs> For sure. Um it's like a Wikipedia gone gone bad. Because... Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Love Wikipedia though. <laughs> and and I, I, I recognize this power of social media, um, and it's given me capacity to use my voice to spread it to, to, to friends and family about things that I, I think are important. So I can't really completely dismiss it, although sometimes I get really overwhelmed by it, and I'll like delete Instagram for like two weeks at a time because... Me. <laughs> I'm like, I got to cleanse. <laughs> yeah. Because it, it can it can get overwhelming. And like you said, I'll be scrolling and scrolling and all of a sudden I've like wasted an hour. Or I yeah. don't know, you could call it waste, but you have to siphon through a lot of stuff to find, you know, maybe a few good things. Yeah, yeah. That algorithm on Instagram is not our friend. <laughs> yeah, I definitely agree with the fact that I think we've learned especially during this pandemic, we find ourselves living through that global connection through social media is really important and really essential and big issues warrant 
big conversations and many opinions to like fully explore it. But even I know that like sometimes, especially on Instagram stories when people repost things like, and I see the same graphics over and over again, sometimes I'm like, I take that as truth without questioning it. Um, and I think we all fall, fall victim to that. So I think it's a great way to start conversations. And if you're really interested in it, maybe like you said, find your own way into the conversation and like research it yourself. But yeah. yeah. Um, and I feel like that can be kind of daunting sometimes because one of my, this will lead into a question, but first I want to like talk about like this, like social media trend that I see is like, I see people of a particular, you know, political stance or like belief um, seeing others that aren't of the same page and like when those other people are misinformed the people that are super informed are like educate yourselves and it's I think that that is so unhelpful because where do they begin you know what I mean it's like yeah. like mm-hmm. you gotta you, give them a, a first term to google you know what I mean like something because yeah. like to just say environmentalism climate change. Girl, you know how much information is out there? This is literally an entire field of study and you expect someone to just educate themselves? This is what people major in. This is what people like pursue the rest of their life. Um, So with that being said, Blue, because I assume the best of you, um, how, like, what, like, what would you, like, if you could like say, look this up, like take a good look at this and this will be a beautiful little starting point for you. Like, what would you recommend doing Recently, I've been listening to a really good podcast. Um, Love a pod. <laughs> it's, it, I, I say it because, you know, instead of scrolling, maybe you could just listen, we could listen to something that's, you know, peer reviewed, done by a scientist, get some good information, integrate it into your commute um, here and there. And it's called How to Save a Planet. Um, it's hosted by um, Dr. Ayana Elizabeth Johnson, and I find that the episodes are really, really cool, and they address a lot of really important issues, but they also do it in a way that isn't so daunting, isn't so scary. I -hmm. I think that the climate crisis is is really overwhelming to people. It's easier to just, it's such a big problem that it's easier to just like put it over there and mm-hmm. not think about it because mm-hmm. you know oh you know people are freezing what 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 on earth can i do about yeah. that not floridians so they can easily <laughs> just be like okay yeah, i'm chilling but... at daytona <laughs> <laughs> yeah literally like under the palm trees but yeah, education is a huge part of that so i mean there's episodes on you know, nuclear power regenerative agriculture uh you know, policy that's happening currently that I think this is a really good way for for people to to educate them to, to educate themselves. But I'm kind of interested in, in what there's this word that I, I've become pretty interested in the last few years. It, it's called just sustainability. And my relationship to that relationship to that word is like really complicated. And I don't really think Oh, it's different to a lot of different people, how they would define it. So I'm just interested, like, how would you guys define sustainability? Well, it makes me think back to you mentioning resilience at the beginning of our conversation, because I think sustainability to me is a bunch of small things that will help us in the long run to sustain this planet, sustain our way of life. 
sustain a healthier being. So when I think of sustainability, I think of like reusable bags at the grocery store or like, you know, just having a little bit more awareness of your own actions and kind of us easing into climate change and that kind of thing. Um, So I think of sustainability on a small scale that then in turn will help us be resilient. I think I I I connect it in that way. Um, As for me, um, (laughs) I'm going to take the more cynical route on that. Um, Yeah, so I... Lead us there. With what Kara was saying, yes, that's absolutely the the version of it that I'm like, yes, these are good things. Um, But also, I think of sustainability oftentimes repurposed by capitalism to feed like mm-hmm. a pseudo like climate activist mentality um like i like when i think of like sustainable fashion um or like not mm-hmm. to you know drag on you know reusable totes but at the end of the day they're touted as oh my gosh you're like you're like stopping to you like you're not using plastic anymore also buy this thing you know what mm-hmm. i mean it's more so about you yeah. buying a thing than it is at all about you like stopping the use of plastics that being said that there is a seven percent bag tax in chicago so there's a little bit of something here <laughs> and that goes back to us talking about the system of like it's not just about sustainability actions it's about education about climate change as well because if you understand like why you're doing these things and how you can do them in your own way like you could buy a high fashion tote bag um to use or you could like re- you could get one at a thrift store and reuse it that way like i think the education part is you differentiating like do I have to buy that tote? Like, I want to save the planet. So if I have to, I I guess I'll buy the tote because I care about the earth and not knowing, like, your own autonomy of that. Does that make sense? Because capitalism is a huge part of it because, yeah, I I don't know. You know what I I mean? I think you guys are onto it. And I think that sustainability, that word has become a buzzword. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. um, the, the definition of sustainability, the Brentland definition of sustainability that, they, that they've that come up with is actually sustainability is to meet the needs of this generation without compromising the needs of future generations. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> I Definitions. Like I was like, oh, I like that. I love that because then again, it's like, all the scary statements that we hear about like well we the past generation has messed it up for us and it's our job to clean like, it save up the planet and, or else or else we're all doomed it's like no like we can still meet our needs without like being detrimental yeah. to others and finding that balance but then you obviously question like how is how is that not like how is that not happening you know what i mean like in all the ways that that's not actually occurring yeah again a good definition. I like that definition too. Super vague. How can we implement that? But That's I, true. When, I, when I ask people, you know, what are the first few words that come up when I say sustainability, I've noticed that it's, you know, recycling, solar panels, mm-hmm. uh, energy, cl- climate change. And I think that something that's getting really left behind is nature and our planet and even this concept of meeting the needs of this generation without compromising future generations is very anthropocentric. 
it's about us. It's about humans. I, w- I was about to say that's very interesting mm. that you say that because it's you. They never mention the thing that's like being saved, and we're a part of nature. So like that's the a, that's the funny part yeah. about it um, is that like to say nature includes us. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So it, wow, interesting, Blue. But we've been trained not to think that way. Like I think especially in. Um, Western culture, we, it's a very like individualistic and like humankind yeah. focus mentality, which is it's fine. It's like well, it's not fine, but it's like how we've been raised in this society. But like you're saying, like we are nature. Nature, like we are a part of this ecosystem, just because we've built infrastructure and yeah. have like this whole system of living. Girls so have Doesn't ants. Mean that have we're you not seen part of it. fucking ant farms yes. and ant kingdoms? That shit is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Just because ours are bigger and taller. Yeah, which brings me to other questions because I know you have a deep love of nature and conservation um, and you are quite involved in nature in your daily life. So tell us a little bit about like why you're passionate about it, why it's important to you and like how you view nature and our relationship to it, I guess. Um, so I, I guess it, it really happened in college. I started working for the sustainability department for my school. Um, the last mm-hmm. years of, my, of college, I was working for the US, UCF Department of Sustainability, and they were tackling all these big issues, um, renewable energy, waste, water, you know, all these pillars of sustainability. And I, I noticed that, like, that nature was getting left behind. And at the same time, I did undergraduate research in UCF Natural Lands. Um, and it was a really interesting project because the department I was working for, the sustainability department, they had this big plan to build solar panels that would supply the campus with, like, 30% renewable energy, which is a huge, a huge amount of renewable energy. I'm not going to lose my train of thought here, I promise. I'm, I'm going to connect this back to your you're question. You're good. No, you're um, good. So it was this huge goal. It would, it would be, you know, groundbreaking for the state, more renewable energy, more than any other campus in Florida. It would be huge, but it, it, this question was, where are you going to put these solar panels? Where are they going to go? And the only place that they could go because they have to be close on campus were going to be on natural lands. Mm. And so I was working for the department and then I was also doing this research for the Arboretum on campus, which was going through these lands that were slated for solar panel development and determining what was there, what species were there, what they, how many, biodensity, Bio, biodiversity richness, you know, like how much of them, how many of them, how many different types of them. And so for multiple, multiple times a week, I was going out and I, I developed this close relationship to this, to the land. And it was, mm-hmm. it, it made me question what sustainability was, you know, is it sustainable mm-hmm. to build solar panels on a functioning ecosystem? Is that what sustainability means? Is it sustainable not to? Because if not, where are these solar panels going to go? Are you going to you going to trash the whole project because of that? And 
these are really complicated questions and I don't have mm-hmm. the answers to them, but I just think making sure people have a voice at the table and that these problems are heard and that through them we can develop compromise is, is, is part of it. And I just think that making sure that the earth, that the eco and eco-conscious isn't actually lost in this movement is just really important, I think. Yeah. Well, and I think what you're highlighting here is, I mean, you said it yourself, it's, it's immensely complicated, um, on a variety of fronts, um, things as simple as there's a lot of politics and I mean, politics in like every sense of the word, like figuring out where things are going to go, who's going to pay for it. Um, all these things come together to sometimes pause the, the process. But I think like you're saying, um, making sure that the conversation is had and that voices are being heard and that um, the, the right people are at the table to make these decisions um, is the, the biggest thing, you know what I mean? Because to like, to not have the conversation is the worst possible situation. Yeah. Yeah, so once, yeah, and then going back to your definition of sustainability, current and future generations does that encompass all of yeah. nature? Because those ecosystems and those species are a part of our current earth, our present mm-hmm. moment and our present generation. And so I think maybe it's just starting to have that awareness and that balance of like, it's amazing that we're having this conversation, that we're this project is moving forward in the example that you're given. Like, it's amazing that these solar panels are even a discussion at this university and at this, at this table of discussion. But the deeper you get into an issue, the more complicated it gets just by nature. Um, no pun intended. But um, but yeah, but I think going, yeah, that just goes back to our whole bigger thing at the beginning of like empathy and allyship is a part of environmentalism, just like it is in any other complicated issue and having empathy for the species and all of that. So that's such an interesting story. I really, I really love that point of view. Yeah. It, it, it goes to thinking about the earth as a system, systems thinking, and it is interconnected. Yeah, I mean, you're seeing, th- you know, ice caps melting in the north, in, in north and south poles, impacting the weather you're having in Texas. So, mm-hmm. it, seeing these things as interconnected is pivotal to this movement. Um, I mean, there's a lot of intersectional environmentalism is something that's cropping a lot in environmental justice. And they're not isolated the same way that communities aren't isolated and ecosystems mm-hmm. aren't isolated and weather systems aren't isolated. They are connected. And that's why I think, you know, this movement is, the, you know, the biggest collective action project of our time because it encompasses all of those things. You, you can't have a sustainable, quote unquote, sustainable world unless there's racial justice, unless there's you know, the capacity to understand how climate change and habitat destruction are hitting vulnerable communities the hardest. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The same way, you know, we can see how the pandemic hits everyone, how COVID impacts everyone, you know, because it's not isolated. It travels. This is the nature of it. But it impacts, you know, different communities in a different way climate change and environmentalism is the same. It will impact communities in, in a different way for sure. Yeah. The only difference is that it 
it creeps and crawls a little slower. But as we're saying, <laughs> once it hits, it hits big. Yeah, definitely. Um, exactly. But um, to move into <laughs> um, a realm that I think is a little more um, approachable for everyone, um, me and Kara, as well as you, Blue, I know you are also on this train of like artsy fartsy literature babies. Um, <laughs> so how, um, how have like, have, how have you used art, um, literature, media, entertainment, whatever, um, as a gateway to join this conversation? Like, have there been any books, activists, like artists, um, movies, like things that you've seen, read, experienced that have felt like like really awesome pieces of activism in and of themselves um and if so what are they and like recommend us please (laughs) yeah it's crazy and i it goes back to social media i think social media is playing it it's it's obviously giving way to that art and that emergence um the same woman who does the the podcast i was talking about how to save a planet she has a new Mm -hmm. book out that's called all we can save and it's a collection of essays all written by women uh, about all that we can save and, and kind of tackling tackling these issues. Um, nature documentaries are always, always good. Um, yeah. But I actually just think getting outside is really the best way that you can kind of see yourself, like you were saying, as, as part of the earth, as part of like the land um Mm -hmm. it's like for me i look outside and i see you know nature and i think it gives us everything that we need it gives us art it gives us beauty it gives us Mm -hmm. music and it also gives us like this template for really these huge problems that we have like within nature there are all these solutions that we can just learn from it if we just pay attention to it I don't know if that is making no, any sense no, at all. I, no, I think no, that yeah, absolutely does I, make sense. Like we're looking, we're looking yeah, at all I, these things that are like, how can we help connect with, with our planet? Well, we should just be in our planet. Um, I, I think that we are a little bit disconnected from it. And I think that's the very cornerstone of humanity right now is that we see this you know, beautiful natural spaces over here and greedy humans over there. And this is the way it's always been, which is the, you know, probably the most dangerous words in the human, human vocabulary. Language. (laughs) Um, But, and I embraced this for a really long time. I, I I would see, you know, things like the Dakota Access Pipeline or, or the, the oil spills that were happening and, and I would become so angry at, at humanity um, and I, I would embrace this idea that they should be separate as kind of like a testament to my own frustrations and my t- own anger. But I think that it's time that we reassess our relationship to nature and take a deep breath and grieve our mistakes and start building back those relationships. And I think it starts with, you know, acknowledging that we are part of this and that we can build mm-hmm. better in a way that encompasses, you know, 
all people and all ecosystems. Aptly said. That yeah. was that was amazing. I think that was so beautiful. And I I love when you said that, you know, from nature comes art and creativity and con- contentment and resilience. Like I think you've been saying this whole episode that it's about systems and relationships, but just like Austin and I's um, access point might be art. Another person's access point might be going for a daily walk or, you know, or getting that one vegetable from the farmer's market that they love Mm -hmm. eating. And like, that's their one like act and access point. I think that we tend to, as humans, put things in boxes. So it's very organized and separate, but yeah, just experience it any way you want and just kind of sit in it and then and then you'll become more attuned to your place in nature i i just what love resonates that. I love for that you advice. you know love- if it's yeah if, it, if you're freezing cold and you can't go for a walk outside oh, you know God. how how can you connect and, and it's there's no answer to it it's it, it's because mm-hmm. it's about how you feel connected to something mm-hmm. You know, there's no one specific way to do it. It's like asking yourself, what's the best move in a game of chess? Well, that depends on what your positioning is in the board and what what you're trying to achieve. Yeah. You know, there's so mm-hmm. many different ways to, to do that. Yes, metaphor. Yeah, and going back to, like, our discussion about sustainability and capitalism, like, you know, different communities and like classes and and like you know like economic factors come into it but like you're just you're saying like wherever you are whatever your life circumstance you can find your own way into it and you don't have to save the whole planet yourself it's a collective thing and so it's not you know elitist and it's not like put into these labels so to speak because I think that's the overwhelming thing is people give up because there's like they're like I don't have access to that I don't have access to help in these ways that have been publicly in the media popularized um yeah just kind of connecting with Austin said yeah I don't have access to reusable bags or I use straws does that make me a bad person or I can't afford to be vegan these are all questions that I think that this movement needs to to deal with and 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 understand Mm -hmm. that like being sustainable is not easy for everyone you know and whose responsibility is it even anyways I mean obviously using straws is is you know it's plastic pollution it's not good but to put all of that pressure on on the consumer is is a little bit unfair Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. yeah especially when you're not explaining why because just to say that's bad girl okay thank you (laughs) um (laughs) um but like how i can imagine plastic being not so great but you know what i mean that's like it's not enough like you've been talking about systems this entire time and i think humans crave to understand the system as under as overwhelming as it might be um so just to kind of like give the simple easy peasy answer is never the way to like actually move forward um, in a conversation. As we've talked about this whole episode, yeah. we've 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 come upon the answer that like it, it's a little more complicated every time than you might think it is. But as long as you're willing to like sit down, listen, talk, things can be figured out. Yeah, yeah, and have it be a growing and learning experience. Like I know this conversation is 
a highlight in Austin and I's, you know, yes. journey to sustainability or journey to understanding these issues. Somebody listening to this, this could be like a point in your journey. Like it's an ever evolving and growing thing. So like having grace for yourself and grace for this nature, this humanity, this whole planet that we find ourselves on, like slow and steady wins yeah, the race. I agree. <laughs> Even though there's, even though there is urgency, yeah, <laughs> maybe yeah. slow and steady isn't the best way. Maybe it's um, maybe it's uh, uh evolving. There it is, or, absolutely. What's it? resilience? Full circle. Let's go back. Or resilience. It's you know. <laughs> yeah, it's, there we go. It's not yeah. like I'm just gonna be more sustainable. Like maybe you do things that you see you a way you can change your individual actions, and then and then you you know relapse so to speak, and you do things that aren't you know. It's, it's mm-hmm. not absolute, you know? Mm-hmm. The world mm-hmm. doesn't need 10 zero-waste people. It needs thousands of people who are trying to limit their waste in little ways. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. So Love I that. think, yeah, like there's space in everyone for this. And, and shaming people is not, I think, the, the way to do it. You want to get no. people excited mm-hmm. about it. And I think that you know this is where like how i'm interested in like language and 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 how you shape something can be really impactful because you know so often this situation is is framed as what we're fighting against you know sea level rise emissions you know natural disasters instead of what we could be fighting for which is just a more equitable world that considers all people and all ecosystems and i think that the way we frame that is everything. I mean, that's how you can get people involved. That's how you can make people care. Oh, beautifully said. Oh, a round yes, of I know. Full for round. you, Blue. I just, I just, yeah, I just, um, I just really enjoyed talking to you about this. And I know Austin feels yeah. the same. We're big fans of you, which so. is why we had you. Oh. <laughs> On the yeah, podcast. And not, um, y'all, but- I'm going to say it. Blue was a little nervous before we started. And she was so, like, eloquent. Yes, girl. Yes, you were. Don't give me that face. Killed you were it. so awesome. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, it was It was fun. It was fun. I enjoyed it. Yeah. And just to wrap up, we, we ask every Everyone, guest this question And you at are the no end. exception, sister. At the end of our conversation, because we've spent the last, I don't know, 45 minutes talking about your passions and why we're a big fan of you but what are you a big fan of at the moment it could be anything there are so many things but there's really only one thing currently in my life that i am and that's my bird feeder (gasps) (laughs) and i actually actually keep sending pictures and videos of my bird feeder to people completely unsolicited (laughs) and i don't really know if anyone cares but i have this feeder that's connected to my window currently filled with black oil sunflower seeds, which is the mm-hmm. favorite of the cardinal. And I have these <gasps> male and female cardinals that just keep hopping up on my feeder. I'll be just on my computer working and they come and they land. And it's just the most incredible thing. Go out cardinals, and get a bird feeder. Cardinals are my favorite birds. They're beautiful, bright red, cute as hell with that little mohawk they got going on. <laughs> I love that. I love that like small joy. Yeah. And and I I I will say I have been the recipient of a couple <laughs> of these cardinal photos and I have loved them. 
I I love the Cardinals. I invest in the Cardinal pictures. <laughs> uh, well, thank you again so, so much for being on our little pod. Um, I look up to you a lot, especially in the sustainability space, but also just as a creative and a lover of the world around her. So thank you so much for indulging us and for coming. Yes, so much. thank Talk you so us. much, Blue. It means a lot. Thank you so much for listening to Big Fan. If you like what you heard, feel free to subscribe wherever you may listen to your podcasts. And we'd love to hear from you on social. You can reach us on our Instagram at bigfanpod underscore. Don't forget the underscore. Yeah, it's kind of a big deal. See, See you, you again, again soon! soon.